0: Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It's Friday, March 16th, and we're wrapping up South by Southwest week with some tech takeaways. I'm your host, Dylan Lewis, and I'm joined on Skype by Simon Erickson of Full Premium. Simon, how's it going?
1: Dylan, it's awesome. I've had a great week in Austin, and it, the perfect finale is getting to chat with you here on Industry Focus. Thanks for having me. Oh, you are
0: too kind. Uh, you are way <laughs> too kind. Um, so, so going to Austin is kind of a homecoming for you. You're, you're a UT man. So, what do you do when you're in town?
1: Oh, gosh, man. There's a zillion places to go in Austin. We went out to... Uh, A couple of the saloons that have got kind of outdoor volleyball and pet friendly and have a beer outside. Went to some live music. I had breakfast burritos with blues music. Uh, I really wanted to go see Ready Player One, the premiere of that one from Ernest Cline. Didn't get tickets to that. That was a tough one to get into. But overall, it's just a fantastic city. It's got something for everybody.
0: I guess instead of seeing Ready Player One, you just had to settle for sitting down with possibly the most innovative man in the world right now, Elon Musk. Uh, you want to talk a little bit about sitting sitting in a session and getting to hear him talk? I know you did for Market Foolery on Monday. Give me like one cool detail that can kind of cue up listeners that are interested in that.
1: Oh, man, it was fantastic, Dylan. And, you know, they had it at ACL Live, which is a big music venue that, that Austin loves. And of course, when Elon Musk is there, it packs the entire place, not for a concert, but for Elon. So <laughs> that was kind of special to even see that. Um, I guess one thing that, you know, Chris and I talked a lot about this on Monday for the, for the Market Fooly, like you said. But I think one thing we didn't really uh, talk a whole lot about was Elon's interpretation of artificial intelligence, Um, he talks a lot about this. He says this is one of the things that takes up most of his time is figuring out what the future is going to look like for AI. And I guess just my takeaway from that, you know, in Elon's kind of own words, was that Elon really thinks that narrow AI is actually a very good thing. He thinks it's going to make a lot of processes out there more efficient, just, you know, tuning the bots and getting machine learning to do things better than human beings can. But he's really most focused in this 20 years out maybe more than that uh general ai and he's really concerned about a super intelligent computer that's going to really need to be regulated and what those kind of regulations should look like um everyone talks about skynet kind of as a joke elon is dead serious about this stuff and he's really focusing on that
0: yeah, he always seems to be pretty good for a great quote when he's speaking at some of these major conferences. Uh, when you say narrow AI and broad AI or general AI, just to define that for listeners that aren't as familiar with the topic, you're talking about artificial intelligence that's geared towards a very specific use versus AI that can be kind of broadly applied, right?
1: Yes, absolutely. So, narrow AI or specific AI is something like you're a doctor and you want to diagnose what you think is cancer, a cancerous tumor in a patient. You can use narrow AI, which has been trained to see zillions of pictures of cancer to identify that in, in, a, in a patient's X-ray or something like that. Um, that's a specific use that machine learning is, is very optimized for. But a general AI would just be like kind of taking everything that, that requires a decision in any field and letting the computers take control of all of that.
0: Uh, Simon, one of the things I think that was really unfortunate about both of our times in Austin is that we only really saw each other for the member meetup. We were both attending a bunch of different sessions. You got to see Elon Musk. Uh, I unfortunately did not, but I was very thrilled that you got some very detailed notes uh, for listeners. But even though we attended different sessions, it seems like our takeaways are actually surprisingly similar. Uh, I know one of the big focuses for me is the relationship between e-commerce and mobile, one of the things that really kind of stuck out to me in attending a session run by Facebook IQ, which is their research and insights arm of the business, is this stat that by 2020, more people will be online than offline in the world. And they kind of talked a little bit about the differences that'll that'll kind of force in the mobile landscape and the e-commerce landscape. I, I see that being particularly impactful uh, with China and the way e-commerce is moving there. Absolutely, and, and and one company in particular, this is a fool favorite, uh, is Alibaba. You know, this is uh, kind of piecing two different sessions together here. I attended something on retail, and the speaker there, who was interviewed for Tuesday's Consumer Goods Show, was talking about how Alibaba has this strength where, in China, the mobile market is is everywhere and people are so accustomed to doing almost everything through their phones that they've built these stores they're kind of these test concept stores very similar to Amazon uh, and their their supermarket ambitions where you need the you need the phone in order to do anything in the store that's that's how you're paying for everything that's your vehicle for doing everything. And to take a step back and kind of understand what that means for them as a business, you're getting extremely rich, uh, data and kind of customer profiles and I see that as a huge benefit to a business that is looking to you know maybe push coupons maybe give some super tailored promotions to customers it seems like there's a lot of possibilities there
1: absolutely Dylan and, and we should remember too that China didn't go through the same desktop obsession that the United States did when, when we first got the internet you know a lot of websites, uh, have tried to tailor their desktop experience and say, okay, now we're going to have a mobile-friendly site so people can start using this on their smartphones too. China actually never really went through the most of its people even having a, a high-speed internet connection for a desktop. They just built from from the ground up for mobile, and so as a result, you know, the majority, the vast vast majority of transactions done online in China are being are with mobile devices. Yeah, you and that through re- something like like Amazon, like you like the internet platform. Uh, e-commerce platform like you're talking about with with an Alibaba, or even just using the phone to pay at at a retailer in person. So all of that's generating data, which is very useful.
0: Yeah, and to think about this next wave of people coming online in a lot of these developing markets, it's going to be mobile first. It's going to look a lot like what we've seen in China over the last five years, ten years, uh, and that's going to continue in that country as well. And so you think about players there. I think one field in particular that is poised to benefit from that is the mobile payments industry, um, and, and I think that that is definitely one of the spaces to watch, particularly in developing markets. But also, I mean, there's a lot of lessons there for the United States. You think about the strength of Venmo as a brand and how it's become this verb, uh, for, you know, for people kind of exchanging money. PayPal loves that. I don't think that's going away anytime soon.
1: I completely agree.
0: Uh, You had some slightly different takeaways when it came to China, but you still thought that it was an important note coming away from the festival.
1: Yeah, uh, that was one of the days that I spent at South by Southwest, just trying to figure out what's going on over there in China. We kind of talked about it a lot, but I I think it's underappreciated by Western investors and Western companies just how quickly things are moving. Uh, We kind of... We kind of know that China's a big country that's almost five times the population of the U.S., but I don't think that we spend as much time thinking about how they're developing out um, what was 20 years ago just kind of a supply chain for Western companies to get lower labor costs um, and a better return on their investment. Now they've got 67 million people in South China that are all within a one-hour radius of one another, and so they're getting very, very good at getting all these components that they've been manufacturing for 20 years to interact together, and so th- that's the layer on top of supply chain is now the design. They're very efficient um, final devices because they've been working together, you know, comp- to develop these components for so many years, and so you're starting to see uh, Chinese smartphone companies, mobile mobile companies, you know, the Huawei's, the Xiaomi's of the world, getting these beautifully designed uh, devices that are at the forefront of technology, and now the the layer on top of that is they're really starting to bring over some some good IP, some good talented businessmen. Um, anecdotally, I was hearing at South by Southwest that they're hiring people for seven times their salary that they're making in San Francisco. That's and pretty Dylan, compelling, you know, and, and you know San Francisco <laughs> is not a, a, a low low paying area, you know. Yeah, no, that's
0: that's certainly a compelling price point for talent. Um, kind of reading between the lines here. It sounds to me like you know a lot of tech manufacturers have leaned on China very heavily to help them out with manufacturing and, and you know do things a little bit more cheaply. Um, that has been great, you know for the past 20 years, but looking forward, we basically gave them a playbook on how to do a lot of this stuff. And if talent's willing to go there, it, it kind of sounds like innovation might be changing a little bit and where it's coming from.
1: I, I definitely agree. And I think that that's underappreciated right now. You know, I, I wouldn't say that I'm going short Apple uh, or any other Western smartphone maker. Um, I think they've got plenty of good users that still love that brand, still love that product. But I think it's getting harder to justify the premiums that the iPhone has commanded out there when from what the perspective that I saw at South by Southwest, a lot of the tech that's going into the phones is being developed and actually focused on. Uh, over in in China.
0: Yeah, I think you might have some slightly more price-sensitive consumers over there. I think there's going to be the kind of luxury cachet of Apple in foreign markets, and I'm not too worried about that. But we talk about this big wave of people coming online, and they might be looking for cheap mobile devices to do that. A lot of these Chinese manufacturers are a lot more well-suited to do that.
1: Yeah, it's definitely something to keep an eye on. You know, I, I think that you nailed it when you said Alibaba. You know, JD.com is another one that I like, too. These are the um, kind of the, the e-commerce platforms. Uh, you can get both of those companies in, in America on the American exchanges. Um, but I think that, you know, there's going to be a wave of really cool stuff coming out of China, and we we can't ignore that as investors.
0: One other thing that I think was really impressive to both of us this year at South by Southwest was the presence of voice. And so this is another thing that kind of plays into the long-term theses for these big tech businesses. You know, uh, walking around, at least anecdotally, I saw Google stuff everywhere. You know, they're trying to get people to interact with Google Assistant. Uh, I think they're trying to make up ground, frankly. What did you see with
1: voice? Oh yeah, uh, Dylan. I enjoyed your takeaway. Um, Were you saying kind of, kind of lean on Google to do everything, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, yeah. The,
0: the the tagline there was like, "Make Google do it." Basically, it's yeah. like you know they they want they want people to be wholly reliant on this tech, and and that's kind of how a lot of people that are developing this technology are expecting it to to kind of react with it. You know, it's like the idea with voice is that it's this very conversational thing. It's something that is intuitive, and it's slightly different than maybe some of the tech we've seen over the last couple of years, where it's been on you to kind of learn how to navigate a platform and understand how to use it. Um, the the goal, if you're a developer with voice, is to be able to have a conversation.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And the the take that I had, which is I think aligns with what you're saying too, is we looked a lot at the next thing. I think is going to be voice prints, uh, which is kind of a new word. You're not really used to reading about that and you know, tech media yet, but just like a fingerprint, a voice print identifies who you are. I can tell from the nuances of your voice, where you are, if it actually is you in the first place. And I think that's replacing passwords that we've gotten used to typing in with our fingers, um, for authorization, for identification of apps. So now you don't even have to take a smartphone or whatever the device looks like out of your pocket. You just talk to it and say, Hey, I really want to book a, uh, an Uber to get to the airport. And then I want to book a hotel in Seattle, uh, that's a Marriott, and it says, okay, hey, Simon, I know it's you. Uh, the Uber's going to cost you $30 and the hotel's going to cost you 200 Do you want to proceed? Boom. I've I've done transactions. Those two companies got paid. Someone's collapsing all the behind-the-scenes software and applications into something that makes it super easy for me as a user.
0: Yeah. Thinking about the rise of of this kind of voice identity technology, you also look at what's been going on with Face ID, you know, specifically at Apple, but plenty of other tech companies are pushing the idea of facial recognition. Uh, it'll be kind of curious to see which one of those technologies wins out, or if we're kind of in this like multi-factor personal identification world where you know, you're, you're leaning on your voice and your face uh, in order for your devices to recognize you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. The form factor of, of these devices is changing, uh, again. You know, it, it might not be a smartphone device. It might be a Google Glass device. It could be a, a different-looking mobile device than what we're used to. But uh, all all the cool features, the bells and whistles, I think are still going to be there. And
0: as a gadget guy, I absolutely love that, uh, <laughs> Simon. Anything else before I let you go?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it was another interesting South by Southwest, Dylan. I, I think that there's. So fast of a, of a pace of innovation right now in the tech world, it gives us plenty of things to talk about. Um, it, we just got to we got to embrace that AI is going to happen. It's going to collapse a lot of software into something that's more user friendly and efficient. And we got to look globally, I think, um, as tech investors. Because I think a lot of the cool, stuff, a lot of the coolest stuff that's going on out there is overseas. It was a really great conference again this year.
0: It always is. It's always a blast hanging out with you uh, and the other fools that go. It's also a blast meeting up with listeners who come to our listener meetup. It's always at Guero's Taco Bar. We're always hanging out there. Um, before we wrap up, I want to give one listener that we met a shout out. Uh, he is Daniel Fulber. We met him, uh, and he sent in possibly the greatest listener email of all time. I'm going to let producer Austin Morgan give us a little rundown on what came in. (laughs) He basically sent an email wishing that he met Austin in Austin, which I thought was fantastic. He also managed to misspell intentionally my name and Chris Hill's name, which just we talked about this at the restaurant. We we're like, "Send this in. Austin will love this email." And we didn't give anyone on the industry focus side any heads up that this was coming in. It was a very well-crafted email. And Christine sent it to me, forwarded it to me and said, "I'm not sure what to make of this, but I think he likes you, <laughs> yeah. He was hoping that he'd meet you. Uh, Another funny thing that kind of came out of the Listener Meetup was, I was standing next to Market Foolery producer Dan Boyd, and one of our listeners came up to me and was like, is that Evan? Is that the guy that you talk to most of the time on Fridays? And so, uh, it is is funny to me that people put their own faces to the voices that they hear on the podcast, um, but it's always great to meet folks and kind of just learn what they take from the show. I will definitely be at the Podcast Meetup when it's in Alexandria for FoolFest. I will be there. You hear that, listeners? So, if, if you're in the area, please come. Uh, if you're out of town, maybe you have a reason to visit now. There you go. There you go. I'll be there. My following <laughs> is growing. <laughs> that does it for this episode of Industry Focus. If you have any questions or if you just want to reach out and say, hey, maybe get a sense of what we look like, maybe we'll send you a picture. Industryfocus at fool.com. I would be happy to send along a picture of Austin Morgan to our listeners. If you want that, you can also tweet us at MF Industry Focus. And of course, if you want more of our stuff, you can subscribe on iTunes, or check out The Fool's family of shows over at fool.com slash podcasts. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Shout out to Austin Morgan for all his work behind the glass over here in Alexandria, Virginia, not Austin, Texas. Uh, For Simon Erickson, I am Dylan Lewis. Thanks for listening and Fool on!